In order to establish a real shared responsibility mindset on a team, the members of the team have to step into this new role. And then the leader on their part must make space for them and welcome their help and bring it in to keep the team effective. It's really rewarding when we see teams get to a place where everyone's contributing. And at this point, it's common for leaders to actually, in some ways, feel some relief that they are no longer solely responsible for the effectiveness of the team because now they've got help from other people. Welcome to Transformative Leadership Conversations. This special season is a team development masterclass, and my co-host is Peter Axelson, who is a 35-year team development expert whose methodology we're showcasing. This masterclass will help team leaders and members gain insights, tactics, and tools for building effective teams. And at the end of every episode, we offer an exercise that you can use with your own team. To access all these and more, download the podcast companion directly from the show notes or from my website at www.winniedasilva.com by clicking on the podcast tab. Today's episode is all about something we call a shared responsibility mindset. This idea of having a shared responsibility mindset brings me back to clients who have told me, oh, I wish my people would think more like a CEO. Or, I wish my people thought more like an owner-operator of this company. Or, I wish my people would think more like me. (laughs) And I think what my clients mean is that they want their people to see things more strategically, to take more ownership for not just their own responsibilities, but for that of the overall enterprise or the overall company. And yet, leaders may not always know how to help their people develop this mindset. And in some cases, They may even be getting in the way of their people stepping into this kind of behavior. Today's building block tackles this idea at the team level and focuses in on this question. How will the responsibility for the effectiveness of this team be shared? And if you'll notice, the assumption here is that it should be shared. In other words, responsibility for a team's effectiveness doesn't only land on the leader's lap. So Peter, how do you usually approach a client with an idea like this? So if this is a place we've agreed to do some work, we like to start with a really broad question. Who is responsible for the effectiveness of this team? And when you pose that, we get a range of responses. But in general, we don't have a lot of team members raising their hands and saying, I am, I am. Ultimately, what we're trying to get to, as you said, is for what is the team leader responsible and for what are team members responsible, just to sort out that division of responsibilities there. Much like the building block on sound interpersonal relationships in episode three, this one cuts across most of the others. So we can think about the sharing the responsibility for our effectiveness is a universal requirement that cuts across activities and time. That's right. And to take this one step further, in addition to defining responsibilities between team members and the team leader, there are also some responsibilities each person has, regardless of their role. Peter, would you say more about this? Sure. I like to break this into two parts. One part is are the mindset and behaviors related to self, and the other are mindset and behaviors related to the team. On the self piece, we can think about this as both self-reflection and self-management. Thinking about your role in the team and your contributions of all kinds. Do you tend to be process-focused? Do you tend to be content-focused? Do you have a balance of those things? Just really thinking about your holistic place in the team. Second is asking the people around you on the team for their honest feedback, not just on your work. I think it's fairly common for people to ask for feedback on your work. I think it's less common for people to ask for feedback on the quality of their collaboration and interactions with them. But I think that's a really important thing that shouldn't be missed. 
So you think about your place in the team, you think about your contributions, you take in the feedback that you've collected from other people, and then you think about what are the things that I could be doing to be a more effective member of this team, to help the team be effective. You might start experimenting with some new behaviors, which is if you've listened to some of the previous podcasts, you've heard us say, teams don't become more effective unless members change their behavior. Doing some experimenting here. So that's the self piece. In terms of helping the team, we really like some language that comes from a fellow named Ron Heifetz. And the language that he uses is being in the balcony means deliberately stepping back and observing how the team is functioning. And then being on the dance floor is more focused on the content or doing the work. Some people are more content focused. They're dancing all the time. Some people may have more of a process orientation. They spend some time in the balcony. We'll add a note link to this in the show notes. But That's one right. way to, to help the team is for people to be spending more time in the balcony just observing. The idea of, you can imagine yourself being in a theater, watching what's going on on the stage. So observing what's happening in terms of the team's processes, how is our effectiveness right now, and then sharing your observations with the team and or acting more directly to help them. Those are things that you can do. If your team has established aspirational culture and norms, being a good citizen and making sure that you're adhering to those things can help with the effectiveness of the team. I'm in meetings helping out with facilitation as a primary facilitator, the person running the whole meeting, or as a secondary facilitator, person helping out. That's a way in which you can help. Lastly, when there are time for those pause and reflect conversations about how the team is operating, just engage really honestly and offer your frank assessment of things. So the teams that are most effective are the ones in which people, not just the leader in the team, are doing these things. So it really does take a village. Yeah. And also these kinds of mindsets and behaviors that Peter has just described, they really don't develop on their own. And it's a slightly different set of mindsets and behaviors for the team members versus the team leader. On the team member side, sometimes we're dealing with a mindset of, that's not my job. Like, I don't do that. On the team leader side, sometimes we're dealing with a mindset of, don't step on my toes. And sometimes we're dealing with a leader who has a mindset of, I don't have time for this, or even, I don't know how to do that. That's really common. I see this a lot in teams where the responsibility for the team is not shared. In fact, nobody's really thinking about <laughs> the effectiveness of the team. So, that's right. In most teams, team members implicitly assume that their role is to do the work. They know that that's what they're there for. The focus usually lands on the content. Responsibility for how the team functions, so the processes that we've been talking about, ends up residing with the team leader, if anyone, and that's even if it's happening. The reason a shared responsibility mindset is so important is this. Teams are ineffective when only one person is paying attention to processes. It's certainly not effective if nobody is, right? right? And if you want to have a great team, it will take everyone's commitment, attention, and effort, not just the leader. Of course, this can't happen at all without the team leader. They must encourage this. And we've met some leaders who are, feel a bit uncomfortable with others weighing in on how the team is functioning. They sometimes interpret that as a criticism of their leadership. In order to establish a real shared responsibility mindset on a team, the members of the team have to step into this new role, and then the leader on their part must make space for them and welcome their help and bring it in to keep the team effective. It's really rewarding when we see teams get to a place where everyone's contributing, and at this point, it's common for leaders to actually, in some ways, feel some relief that they are no longer solely responsible for the effectiveness of the team because now they've got help from other people. Peter, let's get a little bit more practical here. In what ways 
do we help teams develop the shared responsibility mindset? How do we do it? Um, I'll build on some of the stuff we've talked about yep. already. The starting point is to talk about what we think shared responsibility looks like and why it's important. We've covered some of that. One of the things we like to do early on in this work is to explore the mindsets or the norms or attitudes or assumptions that exist around this in the team today, right? There are assumptions about whose responsibility this is. What are those? So we like to do that. I'd like to introduce some shared language, this idea of dance floor and being in the balcony. I think it's very accessible and I think people find a good framework, a way to think about the different hats that they can be wearing. One of the things that's most important to do is for us to help teams normalize or make acceptable contributions for the team on the team's process. Here's an example. Let's say that you're in a typical team meeting, packed agenda, really busy. Maybe you're behind time a little bit. And someone says, time out for a second. Could we talk about how this meeting is going? <laughs> right? So in some teams, they might show you the door. Like, we don't have time for that stuff. Right. Please leave. That's one of the things that needs to get managed is to get to a place where a team can move from we're only focusing on content, we're only dancing, to a place where contributions or comments or interventions on the team's process are accepted and seen as helpful, even encouraged. That journey from we don't have time for process to that's one of the things we know that's going to make us successful is one of the things that we can do to help teams a lot. That's right. One of the things we do is introduce this role of secondary facilitators in meetings. So the idea is here you have a primary facilitator, kind of like the conductor, who's responsible for the overall meeting planning and facilitation. And then the idea of a secondary facilitator is that everybody else, just to be clear, this is not one other person, this is everyone else, has a responsibility to help keep the meeting going well. We think that this is actually one of the most significant ways that people can actually help share their responsibility, this idea that everyone is helping a little bit to ensure a good meeting process, not just the manager or not just the primary facilitator. Lastly, one of the things we do is kind of work with teams to establish formal pause and reflect discussions. What we're doing here is essentially then providing opportunities for everybody on the team to weigh in on how the team is functioning. After a team does some experimenting with these new things we've talked about here, we'll talk about the results that they're seeing, and they're usually quite positive. You know, in general, I think, despite the fact that people are busy and have a lot of content that they need to get dealt with, they appreciate the opportunity to be more engaged on process in the house. The benefits to them in terms of output and efficiency and satisfaction or learning, those go back to the metrics that are used for evaluating the effectiveness of the team. The benefits they see to those things usually are quite apparent. And so now they can see the business case for developing this mindset, and they're quite willing to invest more there going forward. So now it's time for the exercise that you can try out with your own team. The objective here is to have everyone on the team to wear two hats while working together, contributing to the content of the team's work and actively contributing to managing the team's processes and supporting effectiveness. Here's the outline. Talk with the team about what you want to do and why. That's always a good place to start. Next, listen to the podcast with the team or ask them to listen to it on their own. It's really short and it will help tee up this conversation really well. And then get together and discuss this question. What's your reaction to what you've just heard? If we want our team to be really effective, we each have a role to play. And let's sort out now what this could look like for our team. And the questions you want to pose are these. What do you see as my, the team leader's, responsibility for this team to be effective? What do you see as your, the team member's, responsibility for this team to be effective? And of the things that we've talked about so far, 
what are the practices that we would think could help us the most? So ask each person to identify one thing that they're going to do differently to support the team's effectiveness and then share these with the team. Try this out. Try some experiments for a few weeks or months and then come back and assess the results. So give this a try and see what you learn. Remember, to access all of these exercises and more, download the podcast companion directly from the show notes or from my website at www.winniedasilva.com by clicking on the podcast tab. Peter and I would love to hear about your experience and what resonated with you during today's episode. You can do that by emailing me at winnie at winifred.org, going to my website, or reaching out to me on LinkedIn. Next up, episode eight, which is all about culture. This concept is thrown around a lot. Our take, building an aspirational culture and explicitly establishing norms that support that culture is a key building block for effective teams. Norms are not static and they should evolve over time because what tends to happen is we have this aspirational culture, we make a set of agreements and we get pretty good at these things. We're gonna master some of this stuff. The bumps that we thought are gonna be there are gone, no longer going to need a reminder or rules on this. And so those norms can be dropped. And at the same time, what oftentimes happens is new bumps emerge that we hadn't anticipated. So we need to develop some new norms and those can be adopted and added. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations. If you're ready to take your leadership to the next level or empower your teams for success, I'm here to help. Reach out to me directly or check out my website to learn more about my work in coaching executives, developing critical leadership skills, and working with clients to build effective teams. And your feedback matters. Please consider leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and sharing this episode with a friend who might benefit. Thanks again for listening.